this is good. Do you know the story of this is good? Let me share that with you now. An old story is told of a king in Africa who had a close friend with whom he grew up. The friend had a habit of looking at every situation that ever occurred in his life, positive or negative, and remarking, this is good. One day, the king and his friend were out on a hunting expedition. The friend would load and prepare the guns for the king. The friend had apparently done something wrong in preparing one of the guns, for after taking the gun from his friend, the king fired it and his thumb was blown off. Examining the situation, the the friend remarked as usual, this is good. To which the king replied, no, this is not good, and proceeded to send his friend to jail. About a year later, the king was hunting in an area that he should have known to stay clear of. Cannibals captured him and took him to their village. They tied his hands, stacked some wood, set up a stake, and bound him to the stake. As they came near to set the fire to, fire to the wood, they noticed that the king was missing a thumb. Being superstitious, they never ate anyone that was less than whole. So untying the king, they sent him on his way. As he returned home, he was reminded of the event that had taken his thumb and felt remorse for his treatment of his friend. He immediately went to the jail to speak with his friend. You were right, he said. It was good that my thumb was blown off. And he proceeded to tell the friend all that had just happened. And I'm so very sorry for sending you to jail, he said. It was bad for me to do this. No, his friend replied, this is good. How, what do you mean? How could this be good? How could it be good that I sent my friend to jail for a year? His friend replied, if I had not been in jail, I would have been with you. That, my friends, is the story of This Is Good. So about six years ago, I was at home sitting on my couch, suffering from my second attack of shingles. It was a rainy Friday afternoon, and I was feeling pretty miserable. When my phone rings... And it's a number I don't recognize. But what the heck, I thought. And so I answered it. The person introduced herself and informed me that she is a college coach and she is organizing a woman in sports leadership academy. Did I want to learn more? Heck yeah, I wanted to learn more. I immediately perked up as that phone call was the best dose of medicine I could have asked for. That summer, I, along with a couple of student athletes, attended her academy. It was amazing. That was also where I first heard the story of this is good. This story resonated so much with me, particularly in the world of athletics, finding the good in the good scenarios, but also finding the good in the challenging ones. It's easy to find the good in a win, but how do you find the good in a loss or a challenging conversation? Well, that's a story for another day. Out of that cold call was born a great many learning experiences, but most importantly, an amazing friend. My guest today has a very courageous story to tell, but it is her story to tell. So without further ado, let me introduce to you my friend, Molly Grisham. All right, Molly, thanks so much for talking with me today. So I shared a little bit of how we met, but I left the resume sharing out for you. Can you give us a brief glimpse of your resume? Sure. I spent about 20 years in athletics. The first 10 years of my career was really in high school and club, just kind of kept making my way up the ladder of coaching soccer. And in my early 30s, I thought, well, what's next? And so made the decision to take a leap and go into college athletics. 
and loved it and realized pretty quickly in that process that what I loved the most about coaching was developing my players as people. And so I became really interested in how we could impact their sport experience by being really intentional about leadership development, team culture, and just focusing on them as people. And we saw some really great results and it changed the culture of our team. It changed my role on the team because now our young leaders were equipped with the skills that they needed to deal with things. I didn't always have to intervene as a coach and, and the little stuff didn't become big stuff because our players were equipped to deal with that. And so I started getting phone calls of coaches saying, I don't know what you're doing, but it's working. Can you come help us? So I think a seed was kind of planted in my mind that at some point I would leave coaching and create my own business and kind of do, do this work of personal growth and development. So it'll be four years ago in June that I started my own business and I now work with teams and corporate groups and educators, nonprofits all over the country. And my work is really rooted in experiential learning. So I come in as a facilitator, as a neutral person and help them navigate whatever's in front of them. And sometimes a group will say, we're doing really good. Can you just help us do better? And sometimes a group will say, boy, the ship is sinking. Things are not good right now. Can you help us navigate this? Um, and so sometimes it's leadership development and sometimes it's culture and sometimes it's communication or trust. It's whatever is, is a barrier for a group moving forward or whatever's really good that we can continue to build on to help them move forward. So I'm super grateful for the work that I get to do. I just get to help people be better. And when you work with humans, having better humans around really makes your experience that much more enjoyable. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, what's, what sticks out to me um, is the fact that you have that courage, you know, that courage to leave the safety and security of uh, a set income and uh, of a job um, to go into your own business. You know, how did you find that courage? What was, what, how did you get that pushed over and just say, yes, I can do this? Yeah, people always ask me, like, how did you get rid of the fear? And my answer, I don't mean it to be sarcastic, but I didn't. Like, the fear was still there. I just did it anyway. And in many ways, the fear of staying was greater than the fear of going. There was this pull that I had that said, like, you have to go try this. And I knew I could always go back to coaching. I might have to relocate or be an assistant coach or switch divisions. You know, if you think of coaching like a ladder, I might have to go down the ladder. But I knew I could always go back. I just wasn't sure if this pull that I had to try this thing would ever come back around again. And it really felt like a bigger risk to stay in what I knew than to take this leap. And I don't know how I knew that, but it was such a strong pull. I felt it just in every fiber of my being that I had to go try this. And, and I knew I could always go back. I could always go back to coaching, um, but I wasn't sure if I'd get the opportunity to, to take this leap and, and try this unknown thing and, I'm glad I did. You know, it hasn't been a flawless journey, but it's been incredibly rewarding. I've met incredible people along the way um, and continue to just learn and grow every day as I work in the space. About what you learned as a coach, your experience as a coach that you've been able to put into practice as a business owner now. Yeah, um, there are a lot of similarities. I think the difference is when I think of my business, those aren't like living um, human beings. Like I don't have employees right now, but my business in many ways functions like a team. Like we have to have goals and we have to have a process and we have to do things the right way. And certainly there's the financial end and 
thinking about how do I take care of all that stuff. So just like with a team, I would look at things kind of seasonally, like we're in preseason right now, this is the stuff that's important. Now we're in season, this is the stuff that's important. I really challenge myself as a business owner to think of my, my business in that way. At certain times of the year, these things are more important than other things. And it's okay to make that shift and it's okay to say, okay, now I've got to focus on this other part of the business because that needs some attention. And I take care of that and then I move on to another piece of it. So while I'm not at the point yet where I'm necessarily leading people in my business, I very much feel like I'm leading a thing uh, that's become something really special to me. Uh, it's unbelievable being your own boss. It's the best boss I've ever had. No question about that. Um, it's interesting because, you know, at, at the end of the day, if I'm not happy, I only have one person to look at, and that's me. And how did I spend my time, and how did I invest my energy uh, on that day? And so being really, really conscious about the recovery time that I need, um, it's become really clear to me that if I'm gone for a week with a team, and potentially had some really emotional sessions and, and, and I needed to be really present for that team, I have to build in just some days at home where I do nothing. Just crash on the couch and recharge. Because um, as an introvert, that can be really hard for me to be on um, in go mode for so many days in a row. And so thinking about, okay, I am my own boss and I can choose what my schedule looks like and I can give myself permission to build in recovery and rest into my day-to-day -day life. Because um, I've got nobody to blame but myself if I'm not feeling good, feeling healthy about the work that I'm doing. So that's constantly a process for me of, okay, I'm in charge here. I'm controlling the situation. What can I control? What do I want to do differently? Well, I like what you said about giving yourself permission to rest and relax and recharge. I think that's where a lot of people struggle is that they they do need to lay on the couch and relax and do nothing. But then they sit there in the guilt of well, I should be doing this, and I should be doing that, and we should all over ourselves. Yeah. As Betsy Burdard has said, you know, I, so I, I applaud you for, for doing that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I realized I had a moment this last August, so it would have been almost three years that I've been working full-time, and, and August is always a heavy month for me. Just so many college teams are returning to campus, and so I'm, I'm booked pretty solid in August. And I had finished, I don't, it was near the end of the month. I'd probably done 20 events at this point. And I was with a team that I know well, and I'm, I'm with them a couple days every month. They really feel like home to me. It just, it's easy to walk into their offices. It's easy to be around their players. And I got done with a full day with them and went back to my hotel and took the elevator up. And all I had to do was walk four doors to my room. And as soon as the elevator doors opened, I just started crying. And I was like, wait, this is not like me. Like, I usually know when I'm about to cry, and it just came out of nowhere. And so I walked back to my room and I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> what, what is happening? And I realized in that moment, oh, I'm exhausted. Like this is absolute fatigue because for three years I had just gone and gone and gone. And so I made a decision at that point, and got online and booked a flight to Florida and just took a week and did what I called my soulcation, which was a week of doing nothing. Like, I only did what I wanted to do. If I wanted to sleep in, I slept in. If I wanted to eat ice cream for the third time that day, I ate ice cream for the third time that day. If I wanted to lay on the beach and just read and read and read, I did that. Because I think my soul just needed to reset. It wasn't that I just needed a nap or I needed to go do yoga. Like It was much deeper than that. So I think that was a real wake-up call for me that if I don't take care of myself, I can't show up for others. 
And, and so I have to be much more intentional about building that in. That has to be a part of my work. I can't do what I want to do if I'm not taking care of me. Love that. As soon as we're finished here, I'm going to go book myself a location. I love that. Yes, I can tell you some great spots. Excellent, excellent. So, talk to me about uh, the back in the days when you were coaching, which was not too long ago. Um, talk to me about one of the greatest uh, things that you enjoyed about coaching. What gave you joy when it came to coaching? For me, it's the same same thing that I have now, and it was that light bulb moment when a player got something for the first time. And so, maybe it was a freshman who came in and didn't understand. Um, our system of play and you can just tell the wheels are spinning and spinning and then you as a coach finally figure out a way to help them understand something and it was that moment when they're like oh i get it coach like yes okay now i understand what you want me to do um, or it could be a tactical move or something physically that they thought they couldn't do and they're able to do it for the first time um, those were the moments as a coach that you just go home thinking, okay, I did, I did my job and I did some good in the world because I was able to help somebody navigate something that they just thought they couldn't do. It had always been a barrier for them. And so that's the same stuff that I love now. It's just in a different context. But those light bulb moments when it's like literally you're bit in the dark and the light goes on and you can see something clearly for the first time, those are the moments I lived for as a coach. And those were the moments I wanted more of. And, and I could tell this slow shift in college athletics where it was more about recruiting and retaining and compliance and paperwork. And I just wasn't getting to spend enough time with my players, really enjoying those moments where they're, where they're growing as people. And I think that's what the college sport experience should be about. Like we're helping people grow. Uh, and so now that's all I get to do is help people grow and couldn't ask for more there. You know, you, there was great moments, but there were also challenging moments. So talk to me about some challenging moments that you had as a coach and how you work through those challenges. Yeah, I, I think the greatest challenges for me were the things that I felt like were out of my control, yet I was being asked to control them. <laughs> so things like you have a, a limited amount of scholarship money, but we want you to go and recruit really high-level players. And, and I could just look at that and say, like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, we have this little pool of money, but you want an All-American recruit on our team? Not going to happen. Um, or when I knew that in order for us to have really healthy culture, we needed to have some clear boundaries and clear expectations. But we have administrators say, no, that's not how we do it here. We, we let them do what they want to do. And so you're thinking, like, wait, you're asking me to build a culture of success, but yet we can't have any boundaries. Um, so those, I think, were the things that I struggled with. Like, I can't control those things, but yet you want me to control the outcome. And as a coach, and I think any coach would say this, we talk to our players all the time about control the controllables. Um, so for me, it was frustrating when, when you're being evaluated or assessed on the things that you can't control. It, it didn't feel like it fit in the world of athletics. If we're going to teach our players that model, then I think we need to talk about that with coaches and administrators. What can't we control? And let's put our energy there because it is draining when you're asking coaches to focus on things they, they simply cannot control. Yeah, so that kind of leads me into my next question. What do coaches need from their athletic directors? Mm. Um, particularly at the college level, we have seen such a shift. Um, 20 years ago, your athletic director was the former football coach. And so you could walk into his office and say, you know kind of how it is right now in high school sports. <laughs> you could walk in and say, gosh, we've got this kid who's really causing problems. Uh, 
he's become a real cancer on the team. I think we need to, to let him go. And that co- that athletic director would say, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. Happened to me 20 years ago. Let me tell you about the player. And, and we didn't let him go fast enough, and it caused these problems. Now you're seeing so many business uh, – people have taken a business track or an administration. And if you go to them and say, I think we've got a kid that's a real cancer on our team, that's a red flag for them in your ability to recruit the right people. And so there's this gap between coaches and administrators where you can't be honest with your administrators because it's a red flag on you as a coach. So I think both at the high school and college level, almost sitting in the same seat and seeing the same thing. Um, I think that coaches need to know that their administrators are on their side. Uh, and, And that doesn't mean that coaches get everything that they want and that the coach is always right. But, man, you need to know that your AD is walking with you on this journey. And I've seen a lot of coaches walk away because they felt like they were walking alone in this process. And so, to me, a good administrator is is with you in that process, understands the challenges that you're facing, can provide some perspective, uh, some wisdom, an objective voice, that kind of person that has your back. They can say, like, hey, I'm with you on this, but I just want to let you know there's there's this track coming up ahead, so we better take a left or take a right because I can see what's coming. Versus an administrator that's way off in the distance and says, I don't know how you didn't see what was coming. Um, to me, it's all about coaches and administrators walking together uh, and navigating that path that's in front of them. Love it, absolutely. Talk to me about um, some wisdom that you can share uh, with parents. Mm-hmm. You had a parent sitting right in front of you right now with- they're a high school student athlete and maybe going to consider college. What would you tell this parent? Yeah, I think the challenge that I see right now with college students is they want to be successful. And we can use just leadership as an example. Um, so many college students say to me, I want to lead. I want to help our team. I have no idea how to do that. Because for so many of them at the high school level, they aren't being given the opportunities to practice the skills that are going to set them up for success in college because they have so much on their plate. So we as adults run in and say, I'll do that for you. Let me, let me take care of that for you. I'll have that hard conversation for you. I'll say the thing that you don't want to say. And what's really happening is we're denying them an opportunity to build skills that will let them be successful in college and be successful in life. Um, I am amazed at the number of college students who have never had a face-to-face conversation with a coach before. And so they get to college and all of a sudden they're a freshman and playing time is hard and life is hard and they're just learning so, it's so overwhelming. And they'll tell me and I say, well, did you talk to your coach? Oh, no, I I couldn't, why would I do that? I think you never did that in high school, did you? Or AAU or ODP or whatever your uh, sport experience was. And so we've got to realize as adults that we think we're helping them. We think they're ta- we're taking something off their plate we really were denying them an opportunity to practice a skill in a safe environment. Because in high school, you should be able to try some of those things and screw it up and, and, and have it not go well and have all the adults around you that can say, okay, try this next time. Maybe think about doing this. Maybe reword that. Here's why that didn't work. So that when you get to college and when you get out into the real world, you don't have those adults guiding you. You can look back at your high school experience and say, oh, yeah, that's what my coach taught me. That's my teacher. That's what my AD, that's what my parents were helping me um, to be better at. And so 
my advice to parents is let them develop those skills. And the only way you get better at any skill is to practice it. And if we're not letting them practice those real life skills, we are setting them up for failure. Love it. Um, talk to me about the biggest lesson you have learned about yourself the last couple of years through this transition. Yeah, um, I think I've I've learned more and more about my personality and just my wiring as a person. Um, I do a lot of public speaking, and a lot of people think I'm an extrovert, and I have them fooled. I am not. <laughs> as an introvert, I have to have time to recharge, and I'm I'm figuring out what does that look like for me. Um, what does it feel like when I'm getting close to empty? Like, do I have to hit? crying in the hall in the hotel hallway before I realize you're really tired um, and figuring out just what that self-care looks like for me and taking complete ownership of that I've always been a big fan of personality assessments and, and just the science and psychology behind all of that but I think I'm in a phase in life of figuring out how does that apply to me what do I do with that information um, and then I think a part of that is thinking about the the things or the areas that I really want to grow in and making that a priority. Um, so I've been doing a ton of personal and professional growth uh, and development and retreats and events and workshops because it feeds me. And I know that if I, if I pause long enough to do that, I'm better at the work that I do. So it's been a lot of personal growth and development and just learning about my hard wiring as a human and what I need to do to best take care of myself. Oh, so some wisdom that you could share with someone who is contemplating taking a leap of faith, because essentially that's what you did. What mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but if you're waiting for the fear to go away, it's not going to go away. Like you just have to get comfortable with the fact that the fear is going to be in the room. Um, Liz Gilbert talks about it in, in her book, Big Magic, that fear is always going to be in the car with you. Now you have to decide, does it drive the car or does it sit in the back seat? And so I think anybody that's wanting to take a leap needs to think about, okay, there's this fear. It's going to be here. How are we going to work together? And, and sometimes fear uh, shows up in our lives because it's trying to save us from something dangerous. Like, don't step on that train track. There's a train coming. Thank you, fear. That was really helpful. <laughs> Now. But then we have to say to that fear, like, okay, but that's not everything. Not everything in life is life and death. And so sometimes we have to find a way to pay attention to the fear, but not let it dominate our lives. And so I think my, my advice to people is get comfortable with the uncomfortable and get comfortable with the fact that the fear is going to be there. And you just have to figure out how to work together in that process. Um, and then I think I would add uh, two, two other thoughts. One is use all your resources. There's no excuse with the internet to not know some of the stuff that you need to know when you're taking a leap. Like, do your research. But then the other part of that is find good people and talk it through with the right people. Um, I don't have full-time employees, but boy, I have somebody who does my taxes that I trust 100%. And I've got a graphic designer that I trust 100%. And then I've got just good people like yourself that I know I can bounce ideas off of. Um, when I get stuck in kind of a brainstorming, I have 5,000 ideas and I don't know where to start mode. But being really intentional about who, you're, who are you going to include in this journey with you. Get the right people around you because we are a reflection of who we surround ourselves with. And so think about really intentionally what, what resources do you need and how can you get access to those. And then who are just the good people 
they're going to help you move forward in whatever this thing is that you're trying to do. Oh gosh, um, I feel like one of the things I've learned in this process is every so often you just have to say you've like um, you've updated the version of yourself. And so you know, there's been Molly 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0. I don't know which version I'm on now, but always that sense of allowing yourself to say, "Yeah, that was six months ago. I'm, I'm kind of done with that. Now we're going to move on to 7.0 or 8.0." So I think there's some some things I've been building that have been really exciting to me. One is the leadership experience, which is a one or two day program that I've been doing with high school and college students, which is really designed to teach leadership leadership skills in a hands-on way and to provide moments of experience when we're talking about leadership. Because again, it comes back to me of this is a, a skill set that they need to develop. And if all we do is talk to them about leadership and then we set them free and say, go do it, we miss the point. Like We have to give them an opportunity to practice that. So I'm excited to continue to develop that program, tweak that program. And um, I'm doing one this weekend. It's completely different than the last one I did. I had a whole bunch of new ideas about these are some ways they can experience leadership. So I think the leadership experience will continue to be a part of what I'm doing. Um, I think a book is coming at some point. Um, and I'm not sure what the topic will be. It could certainly be leadership. It could certainly be this process of taking a leap. But I'm also doing a deep dive on culture right now. Um, that seems to be a real buzzword for people. Like, yeah, we want good culture. And then I say, well, what, what is your culture? And they're like, uh, our hashtag? I'm like, no, I don't think that's, I don't think that's it. Um, so I've been really unpacking what are the elements that go into creating a healthy culture. So that could be something as well. Um, I have a real interest in doing a TED Talk at some point and then potentially a workshop that would come out of that. So some, some big ideas and we'll just see kind of what stays with me and what resonates going forward. But um, I want to continue to develop my facilitation skills. I want to continue to be a voice in experiential spaces um, and certainly want to continue to help people grow and develop. And so as things show up in my life that seem interesting, that's the stuff that I'm going to pursue. Very cool. Though you're an avid reader, I've seen your library. It's quite impressive. If you were to tell a new coach, these are the five must-read books or three to five must-read books to help make you a better coach, what would those books be? Okay. It's good that you put some parameters on that question because I can easily just walk into the, the library right now and, and go through a list. Okay, off the top of my head, I would say my number one suggestion would be Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Um, just a phenomenal perspective on what leadership really is. In fact, that's probably the book I give away the most. And if I, I often say to people, if you can only read, read one leadership book, I would read Leaders Eat Last. Another one is called Help the Helper, uh, which really gives a perspective almost on being a first follower, but how do we help others who are helping others. And there's some good athletic connections in there. Uh, and then I think the third one that I would share is Teammates Matter. And if you go to Amazon for that, it, it'll tell you it's out of print and you can only get a used copy. And I've ordered like 20 used copies and they've never been marked up at all. So I'm not really sure why they're called used copies. Um, but that's a great read for coaches and for players as well. Cool, very cool. But Molly, where um, do our listeners find you on the internet? 
Yeah, the easiest place is mollygrisham.com, M-O-L-L-Y-G-R-I-S-H-A-M. From there, you can find my Twitter and Instagram and YouTube channel and certainly all the resources that I offer. Um, I did launch a couple of months ago a, a series of YouTube videos and continue to drop those about every two weeks. But those are about one-minute videos, and I certainly would encourage coaches, if you like those videos, feel free to use those with your team. Um, most of those videos have a blog that expands my thoughts on that topic, but if that's something you want to, if you want to print the blog for your team and use that as a discussion starter, or if you want to show the videos and, and have your teams talk through those, that's why those are there. So we welcome anybody to uh, subscribe to that channel and uh, use those resources. I, you know, I've been fortunate enough that we've worked in the past together. I've used your resources online, so I encourage anybody listening right now to please go check out her stuff. It is high-quality stuff. It will help you, um, help your coaches. It'll help you help your players. It'll help you. It's just, it's a good, they're good stuff. So utilize that. All right, Miles, so it's time for a little overtime. You okay. I'm going to ask you some rap, five rapid-fire questions, and you're going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Describe yourself in three words. Introvert, deep thinker, reader. What is better, certificates or experience? Experience. Ask permission or beg for forgiveness. Oh gosh, I'm a rule follower, but you gotta take some risks. Maybe it's for me, it's a, it's a balance of both. Okay. Describe yourself in one word. Describe myself? Yes. One word. Um, <laughs> I would say loyal. If you had all the money in the world, what would be the first thing you would buy? Plane tickets to uh, Cambodia and Vietnam. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Molly, thanks so much for chatting with me today and for being a part of your journey. I'd like to have you on again in the future. The next time I want to talk about the... Uh, different personalities and working with the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and how they can help people communicate and work together better. Is that good for you? I would love it. Awesome. Thank you all for taking time out today and listening to our stories. Until next time, I'm Jen Brooks giving you permission today and every day to take time for you.